You've picked up that our theme this morning is peace. We've been following this Advent series, the very common traditional Advent themes of hope, love, joy, and today we're talking about peace. And I'm going to read this morning a passage that's actually already been read. We're going to hear it a couple of times this morning. It's very familiar, but just a very strong passage that reminds us of the peace that Jesus came to bring. It's from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. We've read uh, in the last uh, four weeks uh, three times from Isaiah, and you may remember that Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, is generally spoken, divided up into three different parts, likely three different writers at three different times. This, of course, would be the early one. This would be Isaiah himself writing at the time um, that um, uh, none of the kingdoms had been taken into captivity yet, although Isaiah was primarily speaking to to Israel. So he's looking forward um, here. Um, I'm not going to go into it because it's not the topic of today and we don't have time, but there's a lot of discussion about what Isaiah was really meaning about who this child is and, and what the historical context could have been. If you're interested in that, uh, just a little Google search will bring up uh, an afternoon, if not a couple days of interesting reading. Uh, Isaiah 9, chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to hold it, uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Peace, of course, in the in the Hebrew Bible is um, a, a translation of this Hebrew word shalom. And this is one of these words that's very rich and deep in meaning. And you could spend an afternoon, if not a couple of days, Googling and following all kinds of pathways to understand the meaning of shalom. It's a it's a very rich and deep meaning. I found one by, uh, that's actually one of my favorite quotes, and it's by a man that some of you may know or have heard of, Cornelius Plantinga, who's well-rooted in our own Christian Reformed tradition, so I figured that had to be a winner. Plus, I really love the quote, so it's it's like a win-win. So here it is, and I'm going to put it on the screen. It's a little bit long, but I would like you to be able to read it and follow it. The webbing together, and if you know me at all, you'll know this is one of the reasons why I love the quote. The webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight is what the Hebrew prophets call shalom. We call it peace, but it means far more than mere peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, Shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight, a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed, a state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors 
and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. Every side, every level, every aspect, every dimension, the way things ought to be. So when Isaiah says, to us a child is born, his name shall be called Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of Shalom, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to hold it. You can go on to the next slide, Christopher, thanks. To establish it and to uphold it with justice, which is this Hebrew word mishpat, and righteousness, this Hebrew word sadak. We've talked about those in past Sundays before. To establish justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So with Advent and looking ahead to the celebration of, of Christmas, we look to this prophecy which says this, this son will come and he will be called Prince of Peace and he will establish peace. He will uphold it with justice and with righteousness. And of his government, there will be no end. And it is as sure to happen as that God's there. And he's the creator and the upholder of all things. So how did Jesus establish this peace? How did he do it? And he did it in his life and his death his resurrection and ascension. Just very briefly looking at his life, and I came across, uh, I came across a podcast that I regularly listen to. I listened to it this week. The podcast is called, you'll find this maybe interesting, A Pastor and a Philosopher Walk into a Bar. The first 10 minutes of the podcast, they have uh, lengthy, erudite, um, intelligent discussions about whiskeys and brandies and vodkas and all those kind of drinks. I always skip that because that's not a thing of mine. Not that I'm against them. It's just not my thing. But the, the guest this, this week was a, a lady I had never heard of, a theologian I had never heard of by the name of Kelly Nikondeha. And she recently published a book called The First Advent in Palestine, Reversals, Resistance, and the Ongoing Complexity of Hope, focusing in on what it was like for Jesus to grow up in the community and in the culture and in the politics and in the economics of his time. And I'm going to quote for you a bit of what she said in the podcast. This is a bit of because it's speaking, I'm not, I'm not reading it from her book. I'm, I'm kind of making what she spoke then kind of legible again. So it's a combination of her and me. But listen to what she says. This is the DNA that Jesus took on. Being born to Mary and being raised by Joseph. And listen to this. Taking on the trauma Trauma is a, a big word nowadays. I'm sure you've all heard it. It's a modern word. It's a word we use today, but really interesting to see her apply this word to Jesus. 
taking on the trauma of economic duress, living among people who are always losing land and losing their livelihood. I think this was in the body and experience of Jesus. Jesus grew up without Joseph, and Kelly suggests that Joseph may have been killed by the Romans. There was a, um, there was a, a, a battle or a, a slaughter that happened in a village nearby Nazareth around the time that Jesus was born. The possibility that Joseph was killed either during that skirmish or battle or as reprisal afterwards could be considered to be real. In either case, the landscape was littered with men who had been lost. Jesus did not escape the heartbreak or the haunting presence of empire. He was not spared the personal trauma of loss or the difficult learning of how to live without a loved one. Jesus not only inhabited a traumatized landscape, He was a victim of imperial trauma from a young age. You remember Herod coming um, into Bethlehem to kill the babies. And Jesus, uh, with Mary and Joseph, having to flee and become refugees. That's the trauma that Kelly's talking about. Before Jesus carried the cross through the narrow streets of Jerusalem, his body carried loss in Nazareth. This is incarnation. Not inhabiting a body of privilege exempt from poverty and violence, but living in a body thick with trauma, common to most in Galilee and Judea. God incarnated this pain in his own human body. It became a part of his human experience and is now woven into God's eternal memory. This pain was incorporated in his body and in his experience, and became woven into, I find this a fascinating phrase, God's eternal memory. Jesus had a lifelong relationship with Roman soldiers and those who colluded with empire that killed so many of his neighbors and relatives, and perhaps even his own father. One way to think about Jesus and what he did in his incarnation was he took trauma upon himself. Trauma changes us, makes us different, changes our brains. Jesus was a person who in every aspect of his life was traumatized. And no more, of course, than at his crucifixion, where he's on the cross and he absorbs onto his body and onto his mind, and onto his emotions, and onto his spirit, all the evil and lack of shalom that the world has to offer. Jesus hung on that cross. The webbing together of God, humans, and creation that Plantinga talks about seems to be coming apart. And after 33 years of living a traumatized life, he's traumatized in the most extreme way possible. In public. The one who came to make peace is on the cross, ultimately rejected 
by the world that he created. And what are his first three words from the cross? First one was, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. The second was to this thief or robber or insurrectionist that was next to him. Today, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus brings him into the family, into the community. So he's forgiving, he's bringing into the community. And then you remember he looks at Mary, his mother, and he says, take John as your son. You're losing me, take John as your son. And he says to John, you're losing me, take Mary as your mother. On that cross, Jesus opens his arms and forgives and brings into community, makes this reconnection of this web right from that point of the greatest trauma that has ever been inflicted on anyone in the whole wide world. And then, of course, he rises from the dead. The bands of death are broken. Death, can, death cannot hold him. And then he ascends into heaven and he takes over his place as king of all creation. King over this webbing together of God and of humans and of all creation. And that's how Jesus makes peace in this whole long story, 33 plus years, and of course continuing into today of peace. His life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. So how can we connect into that peace? How can we make that a part of our lives? Let me start with a personal aspect for each of us as individuals, for you and for me. And whatever in your life is not peaceful, Whatever in your life is broken, whatever in your life is traumatized, whatever in your life is shattered, whatever in your life is anxious, whatever is tense, whatever is sinful, whatever is dark. It's real simple. We follow Jesus. We, we live in the sin and trauma of our lives. We don't ignore it. We recognize it. It's there. We feel it. We bear it on our shoulders. And we hear the words from God that Jesus heard right at the beginning of his ministry. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. You are my beloved child. As you go through the trauma of your life, you hear these words from God. You are my beloved. It's the foundation of peace for us as individuals. And then we live in communion and fellowship with God, however we can do that, whatever, whatever works for you in doing that. And part of that is living in communion and fellowship with each other. And when those pieces are in place, when we're connected to Jesus in that way, when, we're, when, we're, when, when he's in us and we are in him in that way, 
then we can bear the trauma of this world in ways that we couldn't otherwise. You remember Linus from Peanuts, and maybe you've maybe you've watched this week uh, again, but certainly you've seen it at some point in your life. The the, the Charlie Brown Christmas story, and the famous part where uh, where Linus then gets on stage and tells Charlie Brown what the meaning of Christmas is. One of the things that you'll remember from Linus is that he has a security blanket. It's blue. And he carries it with him everywhere. I looked a little bit this week at some of the some of the peanuts videos that are obviously available, and it doesn't matter where you find him, you find his security blanket. He's out on the ice skating rink, and Snoopy is skating, and he's pulling Linus along connected on this on this uh, security blanket. Wherever Linus is, there's this blue security blanket. Watch as Linus tells Charlie Brown what the meaning of Christmas is and watch what happens to the security blanket and when it happens. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, he shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Did you see when? Fear not, boom, goes. Now you could say that's just a coincidence. It has no meaning. My response to that is, this is our cartoon. Somebody had to draw it. I mean, if it was just something happening on stage and the actor dropped it, okay, I get that. But somebody is actually drawing this. Fear not, and the security blanket goes down. Or you may say, well, at the end, he picked it up again. Well, of course, that's what we all do, don't we? We drop it for a bit, then we pick it up again. But if you watch to the end of the film, you may remember Charlie Brown gets this little tiny Christmas tree with three branches and four needles, and he sets it up. He's not super happy about it, but it's the only thing he has. And what does Linus do? Watch it. Takes his security blanket and wraps it around the bottom of this tree. And the rest of the celebration goes on with Linus's security blanket, not in his arms, not clutched in his arms. You see what peace does? What does peace look like 
I've referred before uh, a couple of times to uh, John Deloney, who's a psychologist, and um, I, I don't exactly follow him, but I come across him regularly. And this is a clip in which he's talking with a man who's asking him for some advice and help. The man has his, the man's wife walked out on him about a year or two ago, and the man doesn't quite understand why she did that. And it turns out in the conversation that he's also, as a child, been the victim of abuse. So he's struggling to put all these things together. And listen to how John Deloney describes peace. But what we're looking for here is peace. And you have never had that. Let me describe it. No. Let me describe it. Can you imagine it being 9 o'clock and you laughing and deciding, huh, I can either go to bed and crash or I can just watch a movie. And you just deciding that, not because you have to, because you get to. And then you wake up in the morning and you decide, I think I want to have coffee, not because I have to have chemicals to prop me up, but just because. Yeah. Can you imagine dating somebody and telling a joke and they don't laugh very hard and you don't instantly go into a shame spiral because you're the stupidest person ever and you're an idiot? You just go like, that was a dumb joke. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or your boss comes in and says, your butt's going to go do this. And you say, <laughs> like, I, I'm actually, I'm not. Have a great day. I've taken care of my finances. I'm good to go. I'm going to be at a place where I'm respected. Or it's that guy cuts you off in your car and you don't go to Insta rage, blackout rage. You just let him over. <laughs> you just nod and be like, all right, dude, in a square Kia, go about your day. <clears throat> Peace. <sighs> you tip that waitress at Waffle House a hundred bucks on Christmas Day because you can because she doesn't yeah. want to be working there on Christmas Day, but she has to. And you get to honor. Like, that's peace, man. Peace. Whew. And you've never had that because your body's been trying to defend you since you were three. From the people that should have taken the best care of you. Yeah. Okay? That's what I'm talking about. Personal peace. But it's more than just that. Ran across a quote this week from Ellen Davis, another favorite of mine. It was an essay on preaching. She said, preaching is personal, but it's never private. It's personal. It's for you. But it's never private. On the cross, we see Jesus not only or primarily concerned about himself, but reaching out into the community. Reaching out into the, to the people around him and to the whole world. Because he knew where he was. He knew whose child he was. And he in his life could do this big breath that John does. I'm free. I'm at peace. I can deal with the trauma that comes across my path. Not fix it. But I can live with it. And I can reach out into other people's lives.
because that's what God's called me to do. Just as he sent Jesus to establish peace and justice and righteousness, so he sends you and me to establish peace and justice and righteousness. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. He shall be called Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And the angels sang, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill to all. The famous 14th century saint, Julian of Norwich, said this or wrote this, maybe you're familiar with it, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of thing shall be well. Because of Jesus, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of thing shall be well for you as an individual, for us as a community, and for a world. This web, this webbing together of God, of humans, of all creation, in justice, fulfillment, and delight, is what the Hebrew prophets called shalom, and is the peace that Jesus came to establish. Amen. Give you a few minutes to think about this video called Prince of Peace. Messiah, take the crown. 